Join us for Courageous Conversations on August 1st and 2nd. Why? Because we want to demonstrate how to have these conversations on very difficult topics. Many things that we learn are caught, not taught. What better way to catch them than watching 28 scholars and pastors from all across the country doing it? Because I believe that believers should be on the forefront of this. In a divided world, the church should lead on how to have courageous conversations. The goals of Courageous Conversations are simple. We want to get beyond the caricatures that divide us. We want to sharpen one another. We want to build genuine relationships with those who think differently. We want to provide a safe space for dialogue and demonstrate how to effectively discuss controversial issues with people who think differently and to show the world the diversity of thought within black churches. That's why we're going to talk about those topics relevant for the church and the culture like hell, Paul sexual ethics, how to interpret the Old Testament, things we know that they disagree on, but to have a respectful conversation to demonstrate something that I think that the church should be leading on, how to have courageous conversations. So join us on August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia for the second annual Courageous Conversations. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited to bring you another special guest, um, Dr. Walton McRae. Welcome, Dr. McRae. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Lisa. Good to be here. Good, Good to be with you. Good to be with you. And I see you have your um your famous book in the back of in the back of you over your head. Uh, yes. Uh, one of one of the uh, volumes. Um, before we get into that, um, just give our audience just a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Uh, Walter Arthur McRae, native of Chicago, married to a beautiful woman, Reverend Dr. Thelma McRae. Uh, been in the ministry 50 years this year in the gospel ministry. I am uh, the president of the National Black Evangelical Association, located here in Chicago. And I am an author and a publisher via Black Light Fellowship, uh, Black Christian uh, Publishing Ministry. And I've authored over 20 something different titles uh, there and uh, done a few other things along the way in the years. I consider myself a gospelizer, a good news messenger uh, of Jesus Christ, resurrected Lord. Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast with us today. Um, something that you spent a lot of your life working on is dealing with uh, the Black presence in the Bible. Um, it, you have in your book, uh, The Black Presence and the Table of Nations. What inspired you to devote so much of your life to, to that work? Yeah, actually, very, very interesting. Um, I began, in, I was introduced to this subject uh, when I was a college student in a predominantly white uh, Christian college setting. Um, 
and we I was a chapel leader and we had expanded chapel. And there was a lot of racism uh, that was going on on that particular campus, uh, white Christian racism. And uh, since I was a part of the chapel, we had expanded chapels. In other words, we had breakouts for the over 800 students who were on the campus at that time. And as a chapel leader, I had one group. The topic I chose was scriptural attitudes toward cultural differences. This is back in the early 70s, scriptural attitudes toward cultural differences. And my argument was that if we could convince uh, white students and professors what God said about black people and how God treated black people in his word, then that might mitigate uh, racism uh, toward black people in general and toward black people, uh, students in particular. That was the motivations, the origins, the seeds of this study here. That's helpful because I think a lot of people that are listening are in similar situations and to hear um, how you've navigated navigated those spaces through the years is extremely helpful uh, for for all of us to learn from. Um, When we think about different things that are coming up. Um, well, re-emerging or they, you, one could argue they never disappeared. They have always existed. Cometicism, Hebrew, Israel, Hebrew Israelism, um, Nation of Islam, uh, Moors, all of these different um, groups that are identified as black cults um, in a sense. You've had to deal with this over the years. How is your, what has your response been to these groups? Um, my response is uh, basically a biblical response, a black biblical response, and that is dealing with the the data of uh, scripture and the, the information of in the biblical world. In other words, the the Bible says a lot about blackness, about black people, and black persons and black nations. We're all through the scripture. And so I want to demonstrate in a very positive vein that that black people are part and parcel of the entire scriptures from Genesis through Revelation. All right. Now, how that might apply to one group or another group, religious group, et cetera, may be different depending on what the occasion is. But I believe that uh, uh, Jesus is continuing my word. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free, set you free. And if the son of man uh, make you free, you're free indeed. Uh, We deal with truth holistically, not portions or or parts of it. We deal with historical information, cultural information, geographical information, uh, uh, biblical understanding information. And we we put all that together and we present in essence, the descendants of Ham uh, in the scriptures and the table of nations, the branch of the Hamitic branch or the branch of Hamites that spread throughout the globe. All right. Uh, and and this is in itself implicitly is a black Christian Christ-centered apologetic. We might note that not everyone who deals with black people in the Bible deals with Jesus. 
as our savior, as our Lord, as our liberator, as our deliverer. My studies are Christ-centered, definitely. Jesus as son of God, the bright and morning star, but also as the root and offspring of David. That's that's helpful. Um, when we think about the table of nations, and that's a part of um, um, the black presence in the Bible, um, can you just go into a little bit more detail about that? Uh, because there is from from that has been a manipulation of coming and people alluding to the curse of Ham and yeah. black people being cursed. Okay. The uh, our, our audience should understand we've written uh, two major books on in this area. One is volume one, The Black Presence in the Bible, Discovering the Black and African Identity of Biblical Persons and Nations. Can you lift that up for us a, a little? Yes. Okay. That's volume number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Volume number two is The Black Presence in the Bible and the Table of Nations, Genesis 10 one through 32, with uh, emphasis on the Hamitic genealogical line from a black perspective, okay? Uh, It traces the descendants of Noah. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, we we talk about the, primarily the descendants of Ham. These are three broad branches of humanity they are not three racial groups. I want to clear that up right away. We're not talking about three different racial groups because the biblical folk did, doesn't know anything about racial groupings. That's a modern white uh, ideology, okay? And, and in some ways, it's a pseudoscience. Um, but the, the, the one chapter in the Bible, Genesis 10, verses 1 through 32, is referred to as the table of nations or ethnic groups, or cultural uh, groups, all right? And so these, the three sons of Noah, three branches of humanity and the cultural groups within those branches of humanity. Uh, we talk about Ham, which uh, talks about uh, uh, is discussed in, in the most of the verses in Genesis chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 1 through 32. Ham is spoken about more than if, if any of the other branches of Noah's sons, Shem or Japheth. And when you look at uh, Genesis 10 and the, this uh, lineage of Ham, you're virtually looking at a, uh, a black African family tree, all right? Genesis 10, six says the sons or descendants of Noah were Shem, uh, excuse me, Genesis 10, six, the sons or descendants of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, all right? Cush, uh, 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 south of, of Egypt, the Nile Valley, Egypt, ancient Kemet, as many know it, put Somalia probably, all right, and Canaan, the folks who inhabited what became later known as the promised land, all right. These are uh, uh, direct lineal descendants of Ham. Ham means hot heat black, Uh, Cush means black, uh, and, and so on and so forth. 
So there are color terms that describe people. We say this because if someone looks for the term Africa in the scripture, they won't find it. They will find a lot of terms that refer to black people as far as skin color is concerned and places that are in Africa, okay? Now, <clears throat> we do not, the story about the so-called curse upon black people is perpetuated based on Genesis chapter nine, okay? The latter part of that chapter. In Genesis chapter nine, uh, Noah did something and his, uh, 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 that is he made some wine, got drunk and lay butt naked up in his tent. Ham, the son of Noah, saw his father's uh, nakedness, went outside, told his brothers and they walked backward and with a garment and covered up their father's nakedness. Then the scripture says that when Noah woke from his uh, wine, he knew what his younger, younger son had done to him. And he's not talking about Ham. He was referring to Canaan. But the Bible doesn't say what happened or, or, or anything. But Noah began to curse and said, curse be Canaan, a slave of slaves shall he be to his brothers. And he directs some other words at, at uh, Canaan. All right. Now, what we want to say is very simple. When you read that passage of scripture, you'll find out that God does not even speak in the narrative. He does not say a word in the narrative. And God does not uh, affirm what drunken Noah has said. All right. And so what happened is that people took the words of drunken Noah and put them in the mouth and therefore was doing blasphemy, evil speaking about black people, as well as uh, saying something wrong about God. Dr. Charles B. Kofer in his book, he's an Old Testament scholar who is at home with the Lord, is called Black Biblical Studies. He talks about mm -hmm. these uh, curse issues, all right, and the myth of these curse issues, all right, and so that's what we say. This the idea that God cursed Black African people is a myth. It is not founded in the Bible, but it comes from Jewish writings. Dr. Kofel argues and demonstrates, written between the second and fourth century A.D. All right, but the Bible does not have God cursing, putting a curse upon African humanity, et cetera. And now there's a whole lot more to uh, refuting this teaching and this teaching. It did not start, it started in the second and fourth century AD. All right, it was revived during the slave trade by white people. And I'm, and I'm running across the field with you. It, it was uh, taking a shortcut. It was revived in slavery, uh, uh, during times of enslavement uh, by white people, and they added other stuff to it. And so it revolves not just around Ham or Cain, Canaan, but it also revolves around Cain. It revolves around Nimrod. It revolves around the beast in the garden. It revolves around the serpent. There's a whole lot that goes into this whole curse motif. Ideology is not theology. It is not biblical. 
but it is is it, it is ideology of white supremacy and white racism in our day. All right, and so we say when we look at that passage very simply, if you want to know what God said, God in Genesis chapter nine one, the scripture says, "God bless Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth." When God bless you. Nobody can curse you effectively, and especially a drunken Noah. God's blessing is over humanity, and of course, over black African humanity. If God before us, who can be against us? Amen. That's a word right there. Um, So as we're navigating this space, I think that is extremely helpful for people to reframe that um, because... uh, when we start thinking about uh, Hebrew Israelites, there's this idea that we are cursed um, and all of that. So um, what you just shared, I think, helps correct that misinformation for yeah. for so many people. Because at the end of the day, I remember we on our HBCU tour, some um, Hebrew Israelites came during our Q&A. And one after after he calmed down, one said... You know, he was almost in tears and said, why are we suffering like this? Yeah. And so w- what he I, I realized from that, that what he was trying to sort out was the evil and the suffering that we experience in the African-American context. Yeah. And for him, a solution came from, OK, we're cursed. So this makes sense. And so he went off and veered off into Hebrew Israel Israelism. And so. Um, he was trying to make sense of the problem of evil. And yeah. that's what he landed. Um, and so it's really important to frame that for people, what you just shared, yeah. because it helps people to see um, that we are not indeed a cursed people. That's correct. And in addition to that, the Hebrew Israelites, uh, modern Hebrew Israelites, not speaking of biblical Hebrew Israelites, they base... Um, that cursed peace in Deuteronomy, the latter chapters of Deuteronomy. And uh, they mistakenly identify, uh, uh, culturally identify all African-Americans as the same people in the Bible called the biblical Hebrew Israelites. Okay. And we take exception with that identification. When enslaved, slave people were brought here from Africa to America. We came from the slave coast of Africa, but we came from all parts of Africa here. And so some of the enslaved Africans were Hebrew Israelites. Some were Christian. Some were Muslim, but perhaps most of them were Africans of indigenous African religions, all right? So a person may affirm for himself or herself, they may trace their ancestry and lineage back and say, we, they are the exact Hebrew Israelites that were in the scripture, but they cannot say that and make that claim for all African-American people. We come from a composite religious tradition. And many of us, when we heard about Jesus in the land of our enslavement, say, yeah, we, we know about that God. That's, that's the only rationale for, for how, how many 
African-Americans flocked to Jesus, all right, because we knew something of the high God in our African background, okay? So uh, I do not submit to that curse motif based on uh, the book of Exodus, all right, that some purport to be. No, no, uh, I believe that God did not curse African humanity as such. And I believe furthermore that when Jesus died on the cross, he, be, he became a curse for all humanity, all right? And, and in him, we get the blessings of God, not a curse from God. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful. I love how you made that nuance uh, because there are some uh, black people that are Jewish uh, that came over in the transatlantic slave trade, but everybody is not Jewish that came over in the transatlantic slave trade, which you, you basically summed up. So I do think it's, it's important that as we're engaging, that we do make that distinction for people. Because if we say, well, nobody came over that was Jewish, then that kind of undercuts our defense in engaging the group. Um, so it's helpful that you made that distinction uh, for people. Um, when we think about um, cometicism, which is something that I'm sure you've dealt with throughout the course of your ministry, um, what ways have you found best to engage um, people who are dabbling um, in with cometicism? And what ways would you advise us um, to engage? Well, I, 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 we engage in a firm history. All right. Uh, and, and the history of the world is virtually the history of black people in the world. OK, it can be looked at from that perspective. We believe in, in studying and learning of Africa, the mother continent, because all people trace their DNA, if you want to put it in the test tube, back to a black woman from sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> OK who they, uh, scientists reputedly gave the name Eve to. But all race, so-called racial groups of folk trace their stuff back to uh, black people in sub-Saharan Africa. I believe in studying our culture, our languages of Africa, the mother continent, studying ancient like Drusilla Dungey Houston did, the wonderful Ethiopians of the ancient Kushite empire. I believe in studying about the, the pyramids and the sciences and the astrology and the navigation of the Nile and, uh, and all of that that is represented from Kemet, the languages and so on and so forth. Um, so I affirm that. And why do I affirm that? Because uh, 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 it, it's in God's word and it's the foundations of history and humanity. Every ancient civilization, every civilization has its roots in Hamite people. We must understand that. Wherever it's found at, in, in, in Cush, in Egypt, in Babylonia, in, 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 in North America, in South America, in Asia, you trace it all back and it goes to people of Hamite origin. In other words, we are the foundation and other peoples or so-called racial groups have built upon our shoulders. So we need to learn as much as we can about ancient Africa. We need to learn as much as we can about the peoples of the Nile Valley, all right? 
And we need to understand that when we study about this in the scripture, we are not studying about a people who are apart from that culture. We can demonstrate that Abraham was a, 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 a Cushite black, all right? One of the black heads of Sumer, all right? Ancient Shinar, okay? Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people, biblical Hebrew people. Uh, we can demonstrate that the family of Jacob sojourned in Egypt for 430 years. We can demonstrate that Moses, the writer of the first five books of the Bible, was born in Africa, born in Egypt, and also was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses had the best education available on the planet at that time. He was educated out of chemistry. So we affirm that, and we do not put the scriptures in opposition to that. We understand uh, theology, and we understand the theology of Jesus Christ, and we understand his, his theology of salvation for all humanity. Praise the Lord. And we lift up Jesus, and we lift up him who had African and Cushite strains in his uh, genealogy. We lift him up as the son of God and as the savior of the world, all right? So our theology is biblical theology, all right? And, 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 uh, and it's centered in Jesus, all right? And so we do not believe that the Bible is the white man's book, all right? No one that I've spoken to is able to demonstrate any one writer of the Bible who is white, that is Caucasian, long hair, and all the rest of uh, the, the physical characteristics of the Caucasian folk. Uh, no one can demonstrate to me uh, that not one writer of the 66 books of the Bible was indeed white. We can demonstrate a whole bunch of them who were African and black in origin, all right, uh, for them. And so uh, we affirm our history, our geography, our cultures in the scripture and in, an, and in the ancient world. I think Bishop Dustin wrote the book, The Black Man in the Old Testament and its world. All right. So you deal with the context of blackness in the world of the Bible. Um, there. And then we would take exception with those who would try to pervert a biblical understanding of the Christian faith and make it subservient to what some might call committicism, all right, or ancient religions, all right, we would take exception uh, to that, all right, and then some other things uh, we would do. So we would affirm or take exception uh, depending on what the case may be and what is being presented before us. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest ones is that um, Christianity borrowed from the um, Egyptian um, religions and the ancient religions and created this um, copycat religion, which we know is Christianity. Right. And, and, and uh, if, 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 if that religion, <laughs> I don't think one can say that Christianity borrowed 
from, you know, the, the, the queen of Sheba, of Cush. Josephus says she was the queen of, of Egypt and Ethiopia, came from the, Jesus says she came from the uttermost part of the earth over to hear the wisdom of Solomon and affirmed the wisdom that Solomon had. Well, a lot of the wisdom that Solomon had as shown through even the Proverbs are direct sayings from, from, from Egypt, <laughs> all right? In the Proverbs that he, uh, uh, Solomon compiled, he wrote and compiled, all right? Which just tells in the essence in me that that Egyptianness, if we would say that, that was in his whole background, how his temple was made. Uh, a model is modeled on the temple of Karnak uh, in Egypt. And so you see all this relationship, but you're talking about the people who were not outside of, 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 uh, of Kemen uh, or, or, or monotheism, but who were on the inside of that, all right? And, and, and hence uh, uh, receiving revelation from the Most High God, uh, uh, wrote that down, all right? Recorded that salvation history, redemptive history in the Old Testament, and it brought it to its perfection in the uh, New Testament, even through Jesus, who the scriptures refer to as the Amen or Amen. Uh, he is faithful and true witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's helpful um, as we're as we're navigating um, yes. these spaces uh, because I think one of the at the core of the issue is wanting to have a faith that you can see yourself in. Yes. Um, and because of the perversion with white supremacy and racism in our nation, many African-Americans feel like they can't see themselves in their faith. Yes. So, but the early, the early uh, fathers did when Christianity spread from the first century on out <coughs> into <coughs> the Greek speaking world in other places, Africa uh, was predominant in the spreading of the Christian faith. Many of the church, early church fathers were African fathers, all right? And uh, so much so, and the Christian faith was so African that one says, yes, Christianity during that period was an indigenous African religion. It did not come from the outside. It was on the inside. It was by Africans. <laughs> and, and on and done on African soil. All right. We need to understand it. Listen, black folk, African folk became Christian before Europeans did. Or you say, well, what is the basis of that? There's the basis on that theologically, the, the witness that Jesus says, uh, you shall receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. So what happened is that those, uh, the the Christian church started with 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And we can demonstrate that these Galileans, Jews were black, African in origin. We can demonstrate that. And and they spread from Jerusalem to uh, Judea, which we can talk about the blackness of Judea. And then it spread to Samaria. We can talk about Samaria who was mixed with other Gentiles who some of them, uh, many of them were black, 
Jews and blacks interacting with one another, come uh, Gentiles, become uh, the Samaritans, but then it also said to the uttermost part of the earth. Here we're talking about Acts chapter eight, the Ethiopian eunuch, a man of Cush, who got converted and took the gospel back down to the heart of Africa. This New Testament, that's when black folk, the uttermost part of the earth become Christian. Europeans did not come to the Christian faith as such until the Acts chapter 16, when Paul and them got the Macedonian call and went over to Philippi. That's when the gospel hit the European continent. All right, so black folk, African folk were first, quote unquote, Christian. All right, and they were first called Christian at Antioch with a whole lot of black folk in the church in Acts chapter 13, et cetera, all right? Then the Christian faith spread other places. So within the New Testament and outside the writings of the New Testament, we have uh, the, the Christian faith being indigenous to African people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's really a perversion for us not to see ourselves in the faith because we are such a big part of it. And so it shows how far um, American society has perverted um, the faith um, that Black people will actually reject it on the basis of not seeing themselves in it, uh, which is something that I hope that your efforts in in your books and through your speaking and the work we're doing with you three will be a reverse for generations to come. one of the things that I, you go ahead. Yes, yeah, yeah. We've been dealing with this message for over four decades. Mm-hmm. Okay, about four decades or more, more, and um, and the information is being reintroduced to a new generation who don't know about this history <laughs> and this information that we've been had solid information that has stood the test of time. All right, and it's around and it's gonna be around, okay? And so we're out expositing that and trying to introduce those to a younger generation. Yes, we have the information, it's been around, but you need to be introduced to it. Should I say uh, one uh, book that I I wrote uh, that's in this vein of apologetics, uh, black evangelical apologetic, if you please, uh, called Pro-Black, Pro-Christ, pro-cross, African descendant, evangelical identity, all right? Mm -hmm. And so we demonstrate a number of things in there and argue for an authentic black uh, Bible-believing Christ-centered believer, all right? And so we recommend these resources and there are other resources. Mm -hmm. I thank you uh, for saying that because a lot of people think uh, when they when they see you when they see this podcast, uh, they'll be shocked that all of these resources are out there uh, because oftentimes people just don't aren't aware that you've already put in this this work. So we stand on uh, your shoulders, um, <laughs> and so I'm excited yeah. to have you on the podcast, and I'm excited to have you at Courageous Conversations this year. Um, yeah. So those who who don't know. And are searching for the work that work like you've already done. 
um, can use uh, the resources that you've already provided instead of recreating the wheel, thinking that um, it may be new. So I appreciate that uh, yeah. you sharing the resources uh, that you already have shared. One thing I really appreciated about something you said, uh, I think it was a thing you a workshop you did at Fuller and, uh, for, to celebrate Bill Pinnell. Uh, yes. Um, and, and you talked about um, your commitment to black black people, black churches, and you cautioned um, those who are African-Americans who are in white spaces not to be so immersed. And um, I don't know if you were referring to like reconcili racial reconciliation efforts that they are not willing to work. They are willing to work with white people on reconciling, but not re willing to work with the black collective. Um, yeah. Can you explain why that's important? I think that's really vital because I see that a lot, that people leave the black church and go to more majority culture spaces and be willing to do the work in those spaces, that work that they wouldn't do in, that they didn't do in black spaces. They didn't give black spaces the time that they've given white spaces. Yes. the. Um I believe that, as I focus to say, charity begins at home and spreads abroad. Uh, God calls us, not in Isaiah 58, not to turn our backs on our own flesh, our own flesh, Isaiah chapter 58. And that is God says, we need to love our own people. Uh, love, uh, some may understand and realize that love, uh, there, there are four types of love, at least that is talked about in the scripture. Most of us know about agape love. And then we know about phileo love, friendship love. And then we know about eros love, sexual love. There's also storgas love, storgas. And that's a love that exists, and the terms are used in the scripture. That's a love that exists between kin, blood-related folk, uh, brothers and sisters, parents and children. God lifts up in his word that he wants us to have storgos love. Now, Jesus said that. He says, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And he said that in the context of the group, not the individual, because he told the parable, the story of the good Samaritan who went to the rescue of this one, whereas his, uh, who, who fell among thieves, whereas his own people passed him by. And in that context, Jesus says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and go thou and do likewise. So Jesus was talking about a cultural, a group type of love. We need to have that today. Many, uh, many of our people who've been in evangelical circles and about racial reconciliation, some of them, let me say some, have been whitewashed, okay, by their evangelical teachers and scholars. So much so that they hold up reconciliation 
as the end all be all. Uh, it is not certain whether or not the branches of Christian faith expressed through racial groups will ever be reconciled here in America. But at the same time, God calls us to continue to preach a redemptive gospel and a delivering gospel and a liberating gospel for all people and particularly our people to who are oppressed and downtrodden. And so we would encourage blacks to talk about, to, to minister at home first, your resources, your time, your energy, your finances, your location, center it on really helping our own people, all right? When we venture out for efforts of reconciliation, all right, that is bringing the peace, true reconciliation, the peace of Christ, the, the shalom of Christ, tell you the truth to others, that we learn to do that as a group. So often we blacks practice reconciliation as individuals and not as a group. The white Christian faith needs to be reconciled to black people in America as a whole, as a whole. All right. Why you say the, the white church and white people? Because the white churches blessed slave ships and named slave ships uh, Christian names. All right. Uh, they purport they uh, white Christians perpetuated this of a curse upon black and African humanity. Uh, white people organized uh, churches that prohibited black people from being a part of or being empowered in that. So it's the black, it's the white church's responsibility, white Christian responsibility to address the whole issue of slavery and how it has evolved and the vestiges of slavery will still remain among us. They have to deal with the black group, not just with a few black believers who are singing Kumbaya with whites. No, no. Reconciliation has to be more than that. Yeah. And that I think that's at the core of why I loved the message you you said um, when you were at Fuller and you did that presentation, uh, because so often I see people trying to reconcile without being connected to the larger black collectors. And so yes. you, you can really you can't be a bridge if you're not connected to both sides. And That's so right. if I disconnect myself from one side and go into another side, I can't lead them anywhere because I don't have relationships with the larger collective. Yeah. And so um, you end up only being the bridge to black people within evangelical spaces, but not yeah. the larger collective. And then white people are wondering why, why am I doing all this work with this group and I'm still not making inroads because yeah. you're talking to people who are not connected to the collective. And so um, I think that's what you were communicating in that, uh, in that, um, in that lecture that I think yeah. is so, so helpful. Yes, Anything that, you want to say to, about that? Yeah. It, it, yes, I'm gonna say a word for traditional black churches. Okay, because 
That's where most black people gather at this country in traditional black churches and gather there on a regular basis, Sundays and at times during the week. And so if, if black evangelicals need to affirm their roots to traditional black churches, some folk don't know Sister Lisa and some do, but the black church is the most <laughs> black people via the black church are the most evangelical group <laughs> in the country, in the nation. We are more evangelical, Pew study or whatever, 60, 70% of black folk will be deemed evangelical, all right, evangelical. And, and that is we hold on to Jesus, we hold on to the word, we believe in being born again, et cetera. And those numbers are in traditional uh, black churches. And I think we need to understand that. So we have an evangelical, if, if, uh, if white evangelicals had followed their, the evangelicals in the black experience, we would not be in the political morass that the nation is in at this time. No, the white evangelical brethren should have followed their brothers in the black church politically and socially, and they would have been delivered from this mess, this moral mess that this nation is in. Mm -hmm. I think that is helpful. And I, um, I know you have a new book out. Um, I don't know if you wanted to, to, uh, to promote that before before we go. Oh, okay. Probably referring to this book. <laughs> yes, it, I, it is a provocative title. Yes, uh, I don't sexually abuse black females. I don't sexually abuse black females. And this is a statement uh, that black Christian brothers should affirm, all right, and they, we should affirm, I believe it is God's moral mandate uh, and spiritual mandate, affirm not to, affirm positively to sexually protect our cultural sisters. Amen. Someone raised the issue, well, uh, uh, we should affirm sexual protection for all women. This is true, but we must realize that black women since uh, their inclusion, African women, since their inclusion in this country, all right, during the slave trade, their bodies have not belonged to them. The bodies of our sisters have belonged to white males and to black males, but not to the sisters. In other words, some of the sexual abuse situations that we face in, within our community and in this nation have their roots in slavery of African people in, in America, all right? And we need, to, we need to culturally protect our sisters because they are not protected like the majority of whites or others are protected in this country, all right? And we need to protect them. We need to protect them in our churches. 
and in our communities. Amen. And, and that love for our own cultural sisters then needs to spread to others, women, wherever they're found at. Yeah. This is available through Black Light Fellowship as our other publications. One can Google us, blacklightfellowship.com. They're available also on Amazon. However, Amazon got to get them from us. Okay, and so might as well come to the source and uh, go from there. Uh, but this is a practical book. We've done it with some groups of black men and young men. Opens up a, a tremendous conversation of what is really sexual abuse. And uh, one thing, Sister uh, Lisa, I, 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 I talk about different types here of sexual uh, abuse. Uh, uh, civil abuse, one might say spiritual abuse, moral abuse, but I also talk about um, cultural sexual abuse, ethnocultural sexual abuse. And that is some of our behaviors, black brothers behavior toward our sisters that has a cultural bent to it. All right, that needs to stop. For instance, Sister, brothers dating sisters forever, but never getting married. There's something wrong with that picture. And there's something abusive about that picture. Sister, you ask a sister who's dating, would you prefer to be married or single? She will say, I prefer to be married. Even though she may prefer to be married, the brothers content themselves in perpetual dating. And we say there's something culturally wrong with that. We're abusing our sisters who deserve a good man like any other sister observes a good man, deserves a good man. And I appreciate you uh, you writing and sharing um, about that book because I think it's vital. And I think a conversation starter and a conversation that men need to have with other men um, to to put them in check about some behaviors that are that are problematic, and I especially liked how you mentioned the history of how women's bodies, black women especially, have been used as objects and um, sexualized for white men and for black men. And I think um, you sharing that is very helpful to the to the men um, that are listening. Um, how can people get in contact with you on social media? And um, yeah, how, how can they get in contact with you? Well, at least we do have a Facebook page, <laughs> personal, <laughs> and uh, Black Light Fellowship has a Facebook page. Uh, if one goes to our website, blacklightfellowship.com, blacklightfellowship, light is L-I-G-H-T, blacklightfellowship.com, there's also a contact page, which uh, they can put their email in or other information. And then uh, if one wants to call our office here in Chicago, 773-826-7790. That's Black Light Fellowship, 773-826-7790. Of course, those who email, uh, our email address is wamccray at 
blacklightfellowship.com. That's one of them. W A McCray at blacklightfellowship.com. It's the email address that we can be reached at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. McCray. I really enjoyed this time. I'm excited to have you at Courageous Conversations this year. Those who haven't registered, make sure you meet us in Atlanta on August 1st and 2nd. Um, you can register at CourageousCombos.org. And if Jude 3 has been a blessing to you or you want to become a monthly partner, you can do so at Jude3Project.com. Until next time here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe and why you... Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to g3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.